The Green Rush is real. From lawmakers and investment bankers to CEOs and investors, we'll look at how people are transforming cannabis from the shadows of the black market into a cash crop that draws in cannapreneurs from Hollywood to Wall Street. Here to help you navigate the business of cannabis, please welcome Lewis Goldberg and Ann Donahoe. Brought to you by KCSA Strategic Communications. Welcome to The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe here with Lewis Goldberg, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with one of the true pioneers in the industry. He sits squarely at the intersection of cannabis and media, Ricardo Baca. He's one of the most well-known reporters and thought leaders in the space. He's best known for becoming the first full-time cannabis editor for the Denver Post. But before we dive into our chat with Ricardo, we wanted to remind you to subscribe to The Green Rush and let us know what you think. Feel free to rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your pods from. We also wanted to note a change in our social media channels. We are no longer Green Rush comms. We are now at KCSA underscore cannabis. That's at KCSA underscore cannabis on both Twitter and Instagram. All of our great content is there, but we're just under a brand new name. Okay, so on to Ricardo. After serving more than two decades as staff writer, editor, and critic at a number of daily newspapers, Ricardo's editors at the Denver Post named him as the first ever cannabis editor in 2013. Now, Ricardo is considered to be one of the world's first and, quote, most prestigious, according to Vice, marijuana editor. He's founder of the award-winning news vertical, The Cannabist, required reading for anyone in the space, and he's also the primary subject of Rolling Papers, a documentary film. He's one of Brookings Institution's 12 key people to watch in marijuana policy and one of Fortune Magazine's seven most powerful people in American in American marijuana. He's also one of Time Magazine's 140 best Twitter feeds. He's opened up his own agency called Grasslands. In short, Ricardo knows his cannabis. Now on to our chat. Hey, Ricardo, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, so before you got into covering the business of cannabis, you were a music critic for the Denver Post for almost a decade. How did covering bands and being a critic, or like I'm a big fan of movies, you know, in Almost Famous, they called the music critics there the enemy. So how did, how did being the enemy prepare you for covering cannabis? You know, I think uh, modern criticism in, in American newspapers is really such an important entity that we're losing. Uh, you know, as journalism is under attack and it's losing funding and, and you know, my old newspaper is owned by a hedge fund in New York City that's, that's not treating it well at all. Um, I think it, it was so valuable to have that experience as a critic um, because I just loved how honest uh, you, could, you had the opportunity to be. I was interfacing regularly with bands and with publicists and it was always about the hype and their spin and angle that they were pushing forward. And I just loved that not only was I able to speak with my opinion inside a newspaper, which really only happens, you know, at the arts criticism level and on the op-ed page, but I was also able to, uh, you know, make a living by seeing bands and, and writing about music and, and, and speaking my own truth about this is quality and you should spend money on it. You should go out and download the record or this is not, and this is garbage, and they should have done better, and and really just speaking truth and developing a readership, because I think consistency of any critic uh, is really your currency. So whether somebody always disagrees with you or always agrees with you, 
it's it's kind of an ideal thing because then you develop that relationship with them and if you're if you have a consistent voice then all the better and i think i really learned from that and took it into cannabis when that job opportunity came up um because uh you know cannabis was never about criticism for me but it did instill in me the belief that it's a necessary structure um if you're talking about so many things. And and while the cannabis was always founded very much so in um, news journalism, it's pretty straightforward reporting and treating cannabis as if it was oil and gas or the airline industry. Um, I always knew that we wanted to have pot critics on staff who could also dissect individual strains or concentrates and talk about them intelligently in language that's probably more like a wine review than a music review. But I think, I, I don't know that I would have known that that was such a necessary aspect of coverage for, for the cannabis beat if I didn't have the music critic experience in my, in my past. So back in 2013, uh, the Denver Post launched the cannabis just prior to the state becoming the first to legalize the consumption for adult use. Knowing what you know today and maybe taking a little bit of what you just said about the role of criticism in media, what would you counsel yourself back then? What would today Ricardo say to Ricardo back then? <laughs> Oh man! So Ricardo back then wouldn't have even listened because I was planned <laughs> with, with everything. But um, I guess it would have been—I uh, don't know. We learned so much in those early years. When you think about it, like we were really the first um, legitimate journalistic entity to take this truly seriously. You know, with no weed puns. Uh, those were legitimately banned by myself. I just wanted nothing to do with them. Um, but. But I, so I don't even know what I, I would advise me to do then because it was all so new. And, and, and in many ways, the state regulators that we were interviewing at the time, they were telling us, you know, we're writing the first legal marijuana regulations in the history of the world because, of course, Colorado and Washington voted at the same time to legalize adult use. But we beat them to market by five or six months. And so they, they would tell us all the time, we're learning how to fly the plane as we're building the plane. And it's really complicated. And in many regards, we were doing the same thing at the newspaper level. We were really trying to figure out what this was going to look like and how we should be covering it responsibly, uh, while also having some fun with the newest recreational substance um, you know, in the world. Um, so I, 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 that's a hard question to ask, but I guess I, I really am kind of enamored with the with the the scope of of and the arc of of our work, you know, because early on we tested uh, edibles for potency in 2014, and and I knew that that was important because I, I myself am, am an edibles consumer, um, and then when you look at 2016, so much of that was spent uh, for me at least testing concentrates for pesticides. And so there is this kind of 360 degree turn that my career as the cannabis editor at the Denver Post took. And I'm just, I guess I'm just thankful for that because we're ultimately looking to report on this as responsibly as possible. And I love how quantifiable and how uh, legitimate lab testing uh, gives you very concrete numbers by which to hold this industry accountable, but also to hold the regulators accountable. So that, that kind of talks around the question, but so I apologize for not having a more straightforward answer, but. No, I um, think that's, that's fine. And I 
I definitely want to get to that. But do you getting back to the cannabis and the revolutionary role you played? Do you think the cannabis saved the post? Do you think the paper would still be around today if it weren't for weed and if it weren't for you? No, we definitely did not. And unfortunately, the post is in a pretty dire situation right now with with 30 layoffs uh, with a staff involving, you know, uh, about 90 people. So uh, the post is in a bad situation now. We certainly helped things, though. Um, you know, I think journalism needs a good boost in, in these troublesome times. And to have such an exciting platform that really caught the zeitgeist um, uh, nationally and internationally, I think it really boosted morale in the newsroom. And it helped that we weren't really you know, uh, we weren't we, we weren't taking a, a toll from the newsroom because we were sustainable and paying our own bills as of six months in. And really? so I was proud about that, that, you know, we weren't taking uh, taking money from them. We were making money for them, but we were definitely never supporting the newspaper because, of course, we were just a digital only outlet. And a lot of our uh, a lot of our stories and coverage ended up in print. But, you know, digital they call it digital dimes compared to print dollars and uh, the advertisements and sponsorships that we sold could never really compare to what like a full color double truck would cost in the newspaper. So, so back in 2013, when uh, when you guys launched it, you got covered everywhere. I mean, I mean, you were on the View, um, which is where you met Whoopi, and uh, but Saturday Night Live covered it, the New York Times, everywhere. Do you think that they got the coverage right? Did 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 also you know talk about the that that the launch of the cannabis, how that impacted on the 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 more mainstream media's coverage of the industry moving forward? Yeah, I'll take the first part of that question. <clears throat> and that's an interesting one. It's one I've I've given some thought to seriously, but uh, I think a lot of them did get it right. And this speaks to the distance that we've covered in just a few short years. Because if you go back to 2013, what did the cannabis media landscape really look like at that time? You know, High Times Magazine was about to celebrate its 40th anniversary, and it's the world's most recognizable cannabis brand. Um, but when you look at the, the what, what was being covered in mainstream dailies, um, well, there was still there was some legitimate journalism being done around different medical systems throughout the U.S. It was still uh, it was still infiltrated by a bunch of propaganda. Um, you know, government-rooted 1930s, 1970s misinformation. And I was uh, as guilty as anybody else was. Uh, granted, I wasn't writing about drugs or drug policy or cannabis, but but I, I certainly held those beliefs that were taught to me throughout elementary school, middle school, uh, about, you know, marijuana being a more dangerous drug than heroin. And don't touch it because if you do, you're never going to stop. And I mean, I was just a... I was just an innocent kid who ate all that stuff up. So when I got the job, I remember, I remember talking to all the most important activists on each side of the issue, and I was going out. Was for that wait, wait? But you're an edibles guy, so was that before or after your first brownie? <laughs> this was way before. <laughs> but you know, back in 2013, before as I was getting my footing, I remember going out for drinks with Mason Tervert, who is one of the primary activists who got adult use legalized in Colorado. 
and and his tagline was marijuana is safer than alcohol and he said it every time he was given the opportunity to and it found its way into print and broadcast and really the American psyche and I remember before meeting him it was important to me to go out and say doing my own research and finding out is this true that marijuana is safer than alcohol because that's certainly not what I was taught and I remember five five minutes of research, you know, on the Center for Disease Control and um, NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And I very quickly realized that marijuana is generally safer than alcohol and a whole lot less deadly. And I think that kind of forced me to push the reset button. Um, I just realized that I had been lied to for so long, and I recognized that I needed to do a more responsible job in covering this than a lot of the media. So getting back to your question, certainly the New York Times story, yeah, I think that was pretty legit. Um, they inevitably focused on a lot of the jokes being made about a, a major metropolitan daily newspaper appointing a marijuana editor, having a marijuana section, investing these funds. You know, I was on the Colbert Report, and, and certainly you expect the jokes to come there and then there was less desirable coverage less respectable coverage and i don't really hold it against them because i think you know we just knew so little back then and even though we still know a lot less about the plant than we actually know now in 2018 at least we've progressed so much that at least the national psyche has changed. We know that prohibition does more harm than legalization and is more dangerous than legalization. And uh, recreational should be the law of the land federally. And I think you start to see a more realistic and modern approach in the way that Mer American media covers this subject matter. And I'm so proud of that and so thankful of that because, you know, if, 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 I can, if I can do nothing else, I just want to spread good information. And that's always been my goal as a journalist and, and now as a marketer. Um, and and that's, that's, that's very much my goal. And I think we have always done that on this subject. And I guess you asked a set. There was a second part of the question, but I forget. We'll, we'll come back to yeah. Well, don't worry about it. We'll come back to that. Uh, I guess, and I'll do it. We'll come back after this break. <laughs> More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. 
Introducing Blue Moon CBD, straight from the bluegrass of Kentucky. With our special nano emulsion process, you'll not only get the best CBD available, you'll get more of it. Not all CBD is the same. It's your body. It's your choice. Get relief from inflammation, anxiety, and stress. Go to www.bluemoonhemp.com and use code HEMP420 for a 20% discount on your order. Balance your body. Balance your life. Make it Blue Moon CBD. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines, Dave Inman welcomes you to the state of cannabis. Tuesdays on demand, only on CannabisRadio.com. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. We are back with Ricardo Baca, uh, one of the most influential thought leaders, journalists, and marketers in the cannabis space, and you're listening to The Green Rush. So the second part of that question was, you, you know, you gave permission to a lot of other journalists to treat cannabis as serious uh, as a serious industry and requiring serious investigations and treating it just like anybody else. But that was five years ago. How do you think the media is doing in terms of covering cannabis uh, from a serious perspective now? I think if we're talking about legitimate media, I, I, we're seeing a lot of good coverage out there. You know, um, as with anything that deals with with local laws and regulations, there's so much important journalism that needs to be covered as these initiatives are being drafted and proposed and ultimately be being put on the ballot and then being voted on and if successful then being implemented and we need journalists covering that at every stage of the process you know and then once it's implemented then you know a, a wide array of stories pops up that that needs to be covered in each of these individual markets because as you guys have discussed on the program before this is a federally illegal substance and you know it whatever's grown whatever's sold in each state has to be grown and produced in that state and so every market is vastly different and so it's funny because we went through this at the Denver Post and in, in 2014 where we were brainstorming ideas and talking about okay well what does it look like for laboratory testing what does it look like for these regulations that were drafted last year in terms of how they're being implemented what does this mean for a cannabis business filing bankruptcy or laying off employees how does that differ given that federal laws are what they are and of course there's banking there's IRS code 280e there's a multitude of important things that need to be discussed in every different state and so many of these larger municipalities and so I think there's a lot of good journalism being done I don't think there's nearly enough of it being done and there are also some major glaring holes that I would add um, that I'd like to see more of you know one of my friends Chris Ingram at the at the Washington Post is producing the single most important data journalism in uh, drug policy and I would love to see more uh, data journalists really tra tackling drug policy with intelligent writing 
uh, but also graphic presentation that tells mm-hmm. a story in so much a better way than text ever can. So I think we're getting there, but it certainly doesn't help that you know American journalism is under attack right now, and it's outside of the Washington Post and the New York Times. I mean, these papers are struggling to even staff themselves and 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 finance themselves, let alone you know find a team to cover cannabis. Uh, you know, you, you see even the, the LA Times isn't investing as much as this as much as they should in their own coverage. And and they're the largest cannabis market in the world. So let's pivot from talking about media for a second and talk about the culture of cannabis. You sit at this really cool and interesting intersection of pop culture and cannabis. Are you seeing it become more normalized in our culture? I mean, as people are reading and consuming the, this new beat of media, um, is this, are you seeing it work in creating this, you know, not so forbidden fruit anymore or not so, um, you know, stigmatized anymore? Oh, yeah, yeah. And what's so fun about this state-by-state market with all of these individual and very different regulatory systems too and histories is you go to California and you see how normalized it is there and it's Unbelievable. I mean, by far the most normalized state in the union. Um, I remember sitting at a bar in 2014 in San Francisco and, and, and a guy just like struck up a conversation with me. And less than three minutes later, he's telling me all about how he just discovered dabbing and loves hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I've never met this human and, and he had no problem going forward and saying, oh yeah, I love dabbing and yeah, I have this really great concentrate and it's solventless and, 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 and that's not even happening in Colorado right now, I would argue. You know, of course, California is home to the oldest uh, medical market in, in, in the States and, and we're home to the first regulated medical market and regulated adult use market here in Colorado. So I, I think it, One of the most interesting things of being in Denver for not only my entire life, but these last few years has been watching normalization take hold. And that's not only in societal beliefs and mores and structures, but it really is just kind of becoming normal. And, And I think that's exactly where we need to be because we screwed up drug policy so bad our ancestors <laughs> and and now is our opportunity to uh, yeah our, our ancestors are our parents it's, we don't even have to go that far back true you know? absolutely true but I, I think in many cases our parents were just repeating what they were told yep so it, you know you, you you saw it all happen real time and colorado and washington were contemporaneous but the Washington market never – I mean it's a, it's a big and robust market, but it has not had the, um, the political or cultural impact that Colorado has had. Why do you think that is? You know, it's something we talked about all the time in 14 and 15, and we were just wondering why every single headline that came out about cannabis, good and bad, was coming out of Colorado and not Washington. Um, you know, I think they're, they're obviously different regulatory models. Um, Washington took a different approach on so many fronts from the pack, the uh, flower that you buy at the dispensary is prepackaged. Um, to their lack of home grow uh, regulations, it's, it's, whereas we can grow six to 12 plants here. 
Um, so, but I don't think that's enough to justify this this strange disconnect because every time, you know, Maureen Dowd wasn't going to Seattle, she was going to Denver. And when you had some of those early tragic instances that involved um, young people dying, oftentimes because of, you know, the interaction between cannabis and another substance or between cannabis and mental illness, that was happening in Colorado and not Washington. So uh, I don't, I, we never came up with a definitive answer other than, you know, we did implement July, January 1st and they implemented in, in mid-July. So we just had that five and a half month head start and, and that turned out to be pretty substantive. Um, we, you know, it's, I guess we, you could say we were first to market and that first to market always ends up leaving the biggest impression. And, and we were fortunate that we had city and state regulators that really took the people's will into consideration and, and they implemented the world's first legal cannabis economy in 13 months, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, and, and I think that's probably the biggest reason why, but, but otherwise, I mean, the jokes are about Colorado and not Washington and the praise is about Colorado, not Washington. I'm sure you and your listeners have heard about the Colorado model. I mean, this is something we're still talking about as Canada dissects what they like and, and don't like about the Colorado model as they're implementing adult use later this year. And certainly when you look to Proposition 64 in California, there are shades of Amendment 64 in the Colorado model throughout that uh, legislation and rulemaking. And, and so, you know, Colorado's impact will always be felt, although inevitably we're also now uh, dealing with uh, the fact that we're taking the, the back seat on certain issues to California, to Nevada, to Canada. Like what? Well, if you look at the concept of like le legal cannabis delivery, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something that's being debated uh, four blocks from my office right now in the state capital uh, right here in Denver. Um, and we don't, we don't know if it'll pass, but that's that was kind of an assumed a priority in California, and they're moving forward with it in the adult use market. Um, social use is something that has embarrassingly been left out of so many of these, um, so many of these laws. You know, of hey, we're going to sell it to you. You can grow it. You can use it. All of don't this. smoke it around me. Yeah, <laughs> what a joke! It's yep. like, what is their problem? It's 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 ridiculous. And and here we are, Denver County, 2016, voted on Initiative 300, saying yes. We do want spaces designated for the consumption of cannabis. And all this time later, it's roadblock after roadblock in terms of implementing what's, what is seriously the world's first social use, social cannabis use ordinance and permitting process. And meanwhile, it's, it, it's not an easy conversation in Nevada um, or California, but they are both moving forward with their own different models. I mean, this summer, heading into this summer 2018, inevitably, we will be seeing very large legal consumption festivals in California state fairgrounds, which they've permitted to allow these, these kinds of events. And, and so now we're just kind of taking the back seat and, and, and watching as others um, write more sensible and progressive drug policy than we have in our state constitution. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Green Rush, and we're talking with Ricardo Baca. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. 
Cannabis concentrates have been around for thousands of years. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest-growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. At Alternative Vibes, our core values of quality, loyalty, respect, and honesty guides us in our mission to help families find peace and harmony through our products and services. Whether you are looking for a more natural way of living, shopping essential oils, topicals, and edibles, or searching for a path towards achieving your goals, we are your choice. Learn more about our complete line of natural products and solutions at AlternativeVibes.com. Bringing quality of living to life. AlternativeVibes.com. Our mission is to discuss extraction, processing, business practices, and lessons learned with the established experts of the extraction process on Mission Supercritical, a service of Apex Supercritical, Mondays on demand, only on CannabisRadio.com. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we are back with Ricardo Baca. Um, so, you know, we are, we continue to talk about news and it is, you know, we all work in and around it. Um, now you're on the other side of the, the phone, like we are. Um, so for those in the cannabis industry who we, we should be paying attention to, or our listeners should be paying attention to other than you, who do you read first thing in the morning? Oh, you know, I think we're all probably reading the same newsletters and journalists and bloggers. But, you know, my buddy Tom Angel is doing great work, and I'm so thrilled to see him succeeding, you know, after after uh, getting laid off by Mass Roots and having a great tenure at Marijuana.com. And he's still doing the Forbes thing, and, and I'm really proud for him. Um, and speaking of Forbes, uh, you know, their various contributors, I think, do a pretty solid job of of covering the industry. Um, my former colleagues at The Cannabis, I think, are still doing top-notch work. And even though they don't have the support that they need from the uh, newsroom leadership, I think they're doing really solid journalism and continuing to document this important movement. And then I'm also very, very jazzed about the stuff that Leafly and Civilized are doing. I just think the lifestyle of cannabis is really the next conversation, just like Anne was talking about normalization earlier. I mean, we need to document normalization of, of culture in the same way that we're documenting these changes in policy and regulation. And, and the civilized is doing really good work with that. And, and I think Leafly is just doing some of the best work in the industry right now. 
One of the more high-profile pieces of pop culture recently was Disjointed, and it got canceled after two seasons on Netflix. What did you think of that? Oh, I thought it was garbage. <laughs> I, I just, I, I thought it was... Makes me feel better about not watching it. <laughs> so you know what? You, I, I, en- I found it <laughs> weird. It bugged me and bugged me, and I'm like, ah. So thanks. I, I, I thought it was fun, but I thought it was, it wasn't, it wasn't real. Yeah, and you know, I guess it's it also comes down to it's not my style of sitcom. Um, I, I love high maintenance on HBO. Um, I watch some some garbage reality TV that I will totally admit that it is garbage. But but this, you know, Chuck Lorre, he's two and a half men. He's um, you know, uh, Big Bang Theory. That's just not my style of television. And he is a genre guy. All of his shows have similar aesthetics, similar humor, uh, similar canned laugh tracks. And that's just not my style. So I definitely watched two or three episodes of Disjointed. Um, and it just never connected with me, even though I do love Kathy Bates. Um, and I also just was really turned off in the second season when they kind of made some jabs at Steve D'Angelo, who is a yeah. friend and a mentor and a client. And I thought that was just unnecessary. So every episode, we do a segment called Puff Puff Pass, where we ask our guests to tell us two things they love about the cannabis industry and one thing that absolutely drives them nuts. Ah. <laughs> and by the way, you know or, you're an edibles guy. Yeah, but maybe it's so, bite, so bite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the edible side. <laughs> I like it. It's a fun segment. Um, I guess, yeah, I can jump in with, with some of these things. Let me see. This is completely on the fly. Um, but I guess I would start off with, with what I love. Um, you know, I, I write some columns for some cannabis magazines, including Cannabis Now and Sensi and MG. And I love um, that interaction with readers. And, and it's a great opportunity to opine on whatever I'm thinking about. But a couple months ago for my Sensi column, I wrote, um, I wrote a column that was really a love letter to these entrepreneurs. Um, and the entrepreneurs who are getting in now, who are seeing opportunities and, um, and, and, and niches that need to be filled in this industry, but, but especially the entrepreneurs who back in the 90s or the 2000s, 2008, 2009 in Denver, you know, took great risk upon themselves and did it anyway against the advice of pretty much everybody, including their own governments. And, and they went for it and they've created some of the most meaningful names and brands and businesses in the industry. And so that's one thing I love. These entrepreneurs have guts, uh, they have gumption, and they have passion, and I'm so thankful to work alongside them. And it was also a pleasure covering them, uh, is a pleasure covering them from, from my journalism. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.